can I, I don't know if you guys get the chance, you know, as you sit in the congregation on Sunday and go through the services to uh, just really get your finger on the pulse of just everything that God is doing around here. But, I mean, I will just tell you, we, we have so much life transformation happening in this church right now. And then this series that we've been going through on marriage, I can't even tell you the number of emails we're getting. The counselors have been up front and coming back and just telling us, Lynn, you don't, you don't get it. There, there were divorce papers on the counter, and they, they just have turned this thing around. And, guys, we're just, we're in a season of favor. I mean, we're in a, we're in a moment where God is just blessing our socks off. And give, yeah, and, um, you know, and I, here's what you need to hear. I don't, I don't say that in any, in any sense to brag. I, I think when God's favor is there, it brings responsibility. It brings responsibility to steward the lives that God's brought into our congregation well and to help them grow in their walk in Jesus Christ. And man, uh, I just think it's an amazing, amazing and super fun season for us as a church. And then I think all of you guys are aware and know that we're in the midst of a building program that's going on right now. And if you get a chance and kind of head to that side of the buildings, uh, you'll see there's uh, pipes coming up out of the ground right now. And it's just super fun. I think we're nine and a half months from occupying those buildings on that side. And uh, just, yeah, super, super exciting. Uh, here's something, though, that I want you to be in prayer about. I think I mentioned this a little bit last week. Uh, we've got the funding basically for those buildings uh, that are going up, but the, we're building in two phases. Uh, we're building those buildings so that when all the classrooms on this side for the adults get knocked out to expand this room and all of the early childhood uh, rooms on this side get knocked out to, again to expand this room, that people have a place to go. You've got, they've got to have a place to land while we're expanding this building. So it's in two phases. We're building the buildings that we need so that uh, they're there, and then we'll come back and knock these walls out, build this building out. And so we've got the money, and it's all in, you know, there for that side where we're getting tight right now, where it's uh, coming and crimping, is the money to expand this particular facility, this building, which at the end of the day, that's the point. I mean, if you've been here at our 9 o'clock service or at our 10.30 service and even sometimes at our 11.55 service, you've watched us go into overflow. And we are we are just growing. We're, I think we're 700 people up right now from where we were a year ago this same time. And it just there doesn't seem to be a lot of end in sight. So I say all of that for this purpose. Um, we would not be tight and there wouldn't be any hesitation on funding the whole thing if our purple chair giving was, was where it needs to be. Uh, but we're only... We're only receiving right now in our purple chair about 60% of what we pledged. And uh, so we're going to have to have a conversation about that in the next few weeks just to say, guys, if you pledged, would you, could you? And then we're going to have to invite some people who haven't had the opportunity to pledge or didn't feel like they could do it at the time to say, would you step into the gap? Would you, would you help us do this thing? And I say this to you guys because you guys are frontliners, and, and I need you to be in prayer. I, I need you to say, God, would you just call, you know, Scripture talks about calling laborers to the harvest, and would you just call your people in this moment of such favor and such blessing, don't let us come up short on what you were giving us to do. And so would you just begin to pray for the other people who sit in this room um, that they would step up and do what they need to do in, in order to help us move forward and do it. And then I'm just going to encourage you, I'll just say it out loud, and you know, you can get mad if you want, but... If, if you and I won't do it, then we have no right to ask anybody else to do it. 
And so I'll just encourage you to examine your own hearts and your own commitments to what God is doing around here and just say, hey, am I being faithful in my support uh, physically as I volunteer and then financially as I give? Am I being faithful to what God has trusted our church with and me with as being part of it? So here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a moment tonight and just pray about that. Just pray that in the next few weeks God would just reverse this and that we would be just be right back on track again as a church. We're going into a series called Dangerous Church. And the heart of it is to be, what would it, what if we were the church that Jesus always dreamed the church to be? So I want us to pray about that. So here's what I want us to do. I'd like for you just to stand up where you're at. We'll pray together. I'm not going to ask you to hold hands. I know that weird some of the men out in the room. Uh, we won't, we won't do that. Uh, but I do want us to pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just come before you in this moment, and God, again, we want to declare out loud and say out loud that what's happening in this place is you. It's not us, it's you. And we are so overwhelmed and blessed by the favor that you've given, by the number of lives that you have brought into this place and transformed uh, by your power, and that you would trust us with those lives, that you would give them for us to steward and to shepherd and God, this, this building thing that we're doing right now has nothing to do uh, with any sort of glory for us. It's not about big buildings. It's about having room to hold uh, the people that you've given us to be responsible for. And so, God, I just ask, would you ignite the hearts of our people? Would you pour upon us just a spirit of generosity that says, if that's what God's doing, I want my part in it. I want to own part of what God is doing in my church and in my community and my family, and would that we would just lock arms uh, in this moment. And I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Okay, we're diving back into Romans. Uh, this is a really interesting juncture that we're at right now. Remember I told you uh, when we started uh, a couple weeks ago that the book of Romans is an incredible, almost legal brief. As a matter of fact, Many, many law schools actually use the opening chapters of the book of Romans to teach young lawyers how to prepare a prosecution. And, it, and we're now getting into that portion of what Paul is about to do. And as a matter of fact, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to watch, we're going to see that Paul is basically going to convict. He's going to indict and convict three different groups of people. And it's going to be very interesting to watch how he does this. And I'm going to ask you tonight as we go through, we're going to go through the first group of people. And as we do that, and as we unpack these passages, who is he indicting tonight? Who is he bringing to trial uh, tonight? And we're going to leave tonight and say, you know, that particular group of people is just guilty. There's just no doubt about it. Uh, they've been weighed in the balances, and they're going to be found wanting tonight. The other thing I just want to say out loud real quick, too, is, is that part of this room is is that we're just going to teach Scripture straight through as it falls, which means it's very, very likely on any given night you're going to hear something that you go, man, that is not what my Sunday school teacher taught me. That's not what my grandma told me about the Scriptures. And that's fine. That's perfectly okay. We've all had that moment, and you're going to have that moment over and over again in your Christian walk. My challenge to you is, is that if we get to one of those moments tonight or next week or the next week, that rather than getting frustrated, that you would take that moment to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to study a little deeper. I'm going to make sure that what I understand Scripture to say is absolutely accurate. The other part is, uh, you may just look, find something that you look at and you go, I just don't even like that. I wish God had never put that in the Bible. And that's good. That's fine for you to do. I'm just going to suggest to you that any time you disagree with God in the Bible 
take a guess who's wrong. Okay, just, just going to leave it at that. Okay, and I get it. I get that there are some of us in the room and you haven't journeyed long enough to get to that conclusion. Uh, you're looking at a guy who's already argued with God and gotten myself worn out. And I, I just have given in and said, God, I, you're probably right. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll stick with that. Okay, so here we go. It's Romans chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 18. And again, uh, Paul is now going to build a case for conviction. And, and as we do this, I want you to keep asking in the back of your mind, what is the group of people that Paul is trying tonight? Well, who has he put on trial tonight? And he's moving toward conviction. So let's go back to verse 18. That's kind of around the area of where we stopped last time. And it simply says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. So we said last time, wrath is a big word. And I don't think Paul chooses this word lightly. He's trying to say to you and me, God is pretty ticked off. God is deeply frustrated. This is a big deal to God. And this group of people, whoever they are, are absolutely on the wrong side of the argument with God. And he's angry. The wrath of God is revealed. Now, when you think of wrath, I don't know about you, but the next thing I think about is judgment. See, there's no way you're going to get God that frustrated and not at some point end up with a spanking. Somewhere God's going to put you over his knee when you get to the level with him that it says the wrath of God uh, has been revealed. And that's where this particular group of people is headed. They're headed directly for a spanking. Okay. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Do we have the uh, microphone runner tonight? Yes, we do? Okay, all right. So remember, if you've got questions, feel free to ask the questions. You can do that. Uh, Does anyone in the room remember what we said suppress was about last time? Anybody remember that? Yes, no, maybe? Okay, good. No one remembers. That's great. All right. So suppressing is simply this. It's that moment when I go... Okay, you're probably right. I, I, I'm, I'm probably wrong. But I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with that. And so I'm going to push that out of the way. Don't, don't confuse me with the facts. I, I don't want to hear any more arguments. I, 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 don't, I just don't even want to deal with this. And so I'm going to push it down so that I don't have to be confronted by the truth. I choose instead to suppress it from my consciousness. And that's what's happening with this particular group of people. The Bible is saying, hey, there's truth here that they should be understanding. There's truth that absolutely ought to be obvious to them. And rather than dealing with the truth as it lies, they're more inclined to say, hey, if I deal with that, I'm going to be convicted. If I, if I actually admit that, then I'm going to be found guilty. And so instead, I'm going to push it away. You remember we talked a little bit last week about this idea that the vast, vast, vast majority of people who become atheists don't become atheists because they've done some deep philosophical or scientific study. The vast, 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 vast majority of people who become atheists become atheists because they're living their life in sin. And rather than admit that God is there, because if I admitted that God was there, then I would know that I was accountable for my behavior. I'd know that somebody was keeping tabs. And so it's much more convenient to suppress that and just claim, you know, I don't think I believe in a God. 
Because then my disobedient actions don't look so illogical. Okay? All right. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress uh, and the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So you get the passage. The passage says, hey, wait, 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 wait. If, if you were simply to stop and be honest, if, if you were to just wipe the slate of your mind clean and say, I'm just going to stop and consider this for a minute. Is it, is it reasonable? Is it viable to believe in a God? Or is it unreasonable and, and mindless to believe in a God? But I'm just going to start from a neutral position and take this through logically in my mind. Verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them. He's saying that this ought to be an obvious thing to them if you really stop to consider it. Because God has made it plain. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For not believing that there is a God. Okay, so here's here's the argument that Paul is giving. He's saying, look, if, if you just even stopped for a moment and, and were fair to the discussion and just began to say, hey, wait a minute, based on what I see in creation, based on a universe that is unspeakably big, and guys, you realize that the more intelligent we get and the better we get at science, the more overwhelming what has been created becomes. The vastness of the universe, the microscopic minuteness of what goes on within inside of our bodies. And you go, wow, wow. To stop and see the sun rise every single day and to know that I didn't cause that, I didn't make the sun, and nobody that I know made the sun. To stop and think about uh, how plants uh, come out of the ground and come forth and give a a crop and then you take the seed from that and replant it again and you go, well, who thought of that? Who came up with that idea? Because I didn't come up with that idea and nobody I know came up with that idea. The idea that our uh, bodies have white blood cells uh, in them that fend off disease. I mean, what human invented that for ourselves? What human said, I'll tell you what we need. We need a disease-fighting a cell within our body that would take care of that for us. And Paul comes back and says, you know, if you really, really stop and think about it, just looking at creation would begin to say to you and me that there has to be someone apart from you and me that's responsible for everything that I'm seeing and experiencing. Matter of fact, one of the basic uh, scientific premises is simply this, is of scientific truth, For every cause, there is an effect, which also works in reverse. For every effect I see, there must have been a cause. And when you and I look at a universe and say, nobody that I know or nobody that I know has ever existed is capable of causing what I'm seeing or planning what I'm experiencing then the only logical conclusion is that there must be someone beyond my human experience who is the cause for the effect that I'm experiencing. 
And Paul says, if you were just being honest, this would be obvious to everyone who truly stopped and thought about it. So what are the things that you and I should know about God just by simply looking at the universe? Thank you. I've been sick for like the last three days, so that's it's taking the toll. So we'll run the mic. What, what, what should I know about God just by looking at the universe? What do we think? Anyone want to guess? Come on. Paul said it's obvious. Okay. So let's get a mic down here. So... The first word you used was powerful. Why would I come to the conclusion that he's powerful? By based on by looking at creation. Okay, so I don't I don't necessarily know that part though without scripture, right? So what do I know though? Just by in other words, if I'm a heathen, if I'm a heathen who has no consciousness of God and has never seen a Bible, see that's Paul is saying, hey, creation should have told us this. Not scriptures, creation. So I know he's powerful, but why would I know he's powerful? He's bigger than me. And he's got to be more powerful than me, right? When you look at all of the natural forces, gravity, everything, if anything is tweaked just slightly, then the world that we know today would not exist. Life would not exist. Okay. And everything has been held in place through something, that original cause, which caused everything to come into, into existence. Okay. All right. So I'm agreeing with you, but when I look at that, when I look at all the systems, when I look at the biospheres and I look and say, okay, so the, the, elk, the wolf eats the elk, but then the elk deteriorates and he becomes fertilizer for the tree that grows up and has the acorn and it falls to the ground, the little squirrel eats it, and then the wolf eats the squirrel, you know, and it just, you know, keeps going. It's really cool. When I see that, I know that somebody designed that because it's an unbelievably intricate. Here's an interesting thing. I don't know if you guys have heard this before. Charles Darwin, the, in, the, the person who first really promoted the idea of evolution. You're familiar with Charles Darwin? Charles Darwin, when challenged, said, I get it, I get it, I get it. When you look at the intricacy of the human eye, the idea that evolution could ever be responsible for such a system is mind-boggling. And he said, I still don't have an answer for that. It's still, I, I get that that seems absurd. I would argue, guys, if Charles Darwin were alive today and looking at things like DNA, he would absolutely absolve himself of his original theory. He'd walk away and say, this is, this is absolutely cataclysmically impossible through the idea of randomness on the deal. Because when you see design, design requires what? A designer. So let me see if this helps a little bit. If you, if, if you were stranded in the middle of the desert with me, <clears throat> and uh, we're walking through the desert, and we're trying to find civilization, and I say to you, this is going to be really, really hard, because here's the deal. We're in a part of the desert that no human being has ever been here before. No human being's ever been in this desert. This is virgin desert. No plane has flown over the top of it. Uh, no car has driven through it. No caravan has crossed it. You and I are the first humans here ever. And now we've got to go find civilization. And as we're walking across the desert, 
uh, you happen to notice that there's something shiny uh, in the distance in the sand, and uh, you go and pick it up, and uh, it, it's a wristwatch. And you say to me, hey, Lynn, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you said there'd never been a human here before. And I go, well, there hasn't. And you go, what do you, what do you mean? And I go, no, 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 no. Uh, that's a very special wristwatch. Uh, it has gotten there by random chance. You see, the, the winds blew the sands together and the sun got really hot and they crystallized and they formed the, the, the glass on the front of the watch. And it just so happened over, it took millions of years and lots of chances, every one of those gears that's perfectly fashioned inside that watch and keep perfect time, uh, they just by random chance began to form out of the minerals that were there in the sand. And then, you know, uh, probably, you know, some sort of a rat or something crawled by, just happened to die on top of the watch, and that turned into the watch band. And uh, it's random chance uh, that there's a watch. You go, Lynn, it's ticking. And I go, I know, isn't that cool? You know, you wait enough time, uh, anything can happen. And you go, Lynn, 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 it says Rolex on the top. I know, I know. Isn't that amazing? It's even spelled correctly. Wow. And the reason you're laughing is because you and I know that when you run into design, it is only reasonable, it's only logical to then say there must be a designer. Do you realize the most symptom, the most simple system within your body is more complex than that watch? And yet we have bought into this idea that it came about with randomness. And Paul says just the opposite. Paul says, are you kidding me? If you would just be honest with the information, when you would see the intricacy of creation, you would have to believe in a designer. You'd have to believe in somebody, and we said it out loud, who is smart. And matter of fact, you'd have to believe in someone who's smarter than you because you couldn't have designed what you're experiencing right now. Does that make sense? I, I, I couldn't have designed it. So that person had to have had greater intellect than me. Uh, we said already that they had to be more powerful than me. I, I, I don't know about you. I don't have the power to put the sun in place. I don't have the power to call mountains forth from the crust of the earth. I don't have that power. So somebody with more power than me uh, had to do that. And then I'm going to suggest somebody who's probably bigger than me. Because when we start measuring how far the planets are and how long, it, how many light years it takes to get to the first planet, I mean, I can't even live long enough to get to the first planet. So I'm guessing, I mean, to the first star, I'm sorry, to the first star, I, I'm guessing that person had to be bigger than me. And Paul would say, hey, uh, if you're just honest, uh, you may not come to the Christian God, uh, you may not come to the God of the Bible, but anybody who is being fair to the facts has to believe there's somebody bigger than me, stronger than me, smarter than me. Because what I'm seeing and experiencing doesn't make any sense without it. And that's the reason Paul then says creation absolutely reveals that there's a God. You cannot be fair to the information and not come to at least that basic conclusion. Okay, so we had some questions. Where were they? Okay. We're good? All right. Answered it by accident? Okay. No, it just bored you to death. Okay. All right. Any more real quick? Any questions? Where we're at? Okay. We're good. All right. So back to the passage. Okay. So verse 20, the invisible qualities of God have made it plain that God is real. For since the creation of 
of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen uh, because understood from what was being made so that men are without excuse for not believing in a God. Still not the God of the Bible yet, not the Christian version of God, but not believing in a God is illogical, Paul says. Verse 21, for although they knew God, so there's, there's something that said, I, you know, I know, I know. You know, isn't it interesting that almost every single human culture on the face of the earth believes there's something after this life? Where do we get that idea? Where does that concept even come from? I guarantee you there's no animal out there going, boy, you know, I wonder. You know, is there marriage in heaven? I don't know. Is there marriage in heaven? Where does that concept come from? And it comes from that divine spark. It comes from that image of God placed in our lives. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor... uh, gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So in other words, here's the, here's what Paul's saying. In this moment, they had enough information. They didn't have enough information to make a decision about Jesus yet. They didn't have enough information to believe scripture yet, but they had enough information to believe that God was there. And in that moment, they chose to push that away, to suppress that. Because if there was somebody out there that was bigger than them and stronger than them and smarter than them, then they would be accountable to that deity, to that God. And it was more convenient to push that knowledge aside and live as if God did not exist. It fit their plans better than acknowledging the reality of his existence. Verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So think, here's the moment. Uh, they should have been able to look at creation. They should have been able to say, hey, wait a minute, there's somebody bigger than me, smarter than me, stronger than me. And rather than taking that information and accepting it because it was inconvenient to how they wanted to live, they pushed it away. But isn't it interesting that in the midst of that, they made for themselves their own gods. And they choose, instead of worshiping the creator, instead to worship things that were created. So they began to worship things that look like other men. Uh, they began to worship things that look like birds and things that look like snakes, and they were bowing down to them. And you and I look at that and go, that, that's just silly. I mean, that's silly. I mean, stop and think again. If, if there really is a creator, why are you worshiping creation? Why are you choosing to worship something that's so much smaller than him? Why would you ever worship a snake? And and, and why would you worship a bird when there's someone who made the snake and made the bird and made the man? And we do. We, you know, we look a lot of times at what we would call primitive cultures, you know, that do that when you go off into a lot of the places that we go for missions work and you, you run into cultures that have this type of animistic uh, type of worship, and you go, man, this is just so crude. I mean, just how unthinking to worship a creation instead of worshiping the creator. 
Isn't it good that we're so much more advanced than those people? Because, I mean, I'm, let's be honest, I don't, I don't think anybody in this room worships snakes, right? I mean, anybody a snake worshiper or a bird worshiper? Or... We wouldn't do that, right? You know, what's interesting to me is that I think we're even a step down into foolishness, into darkness. Because although we don't worship created things, instead we worship made things. We worship cars and houses and jobs and yachts. Think about, think about how silly that we worship things that people can make. See, at least these tribal people, these heathens, they were worshiping something they didn't even have the power to make that the Creator made. They were worshiping creation. You and I worship things that men make. How absurd is that? That we would worship things made by human hands and that we would devote our lives and give all of our hearts and all of our effort and all of our skill to... accumulating those things because those are the things that we really care about. Those are the things that we worship. The things made by human hands. See, if, if Scripture is going to say that they were having their hearts darkened, I wonder how much darker our hearts are. If it says they were foolish to do that, I wonder how much more foolish we are to chase after and to give our lives to little brass plates on the door that say vice president. Cars in the driveway with the right initials. That would probably be pretty foolish of us. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24. And because they did this, and what I'm going to suggest to you guys is that what we're watching here is a progression. That, that, that God is actually explaining how this group of people went step by step to actually get further away from God. So remember where we started. We started with creation and God said, hey, wait a minute. Who I am, at least the big pieces of who I am, should be obvious to you. There's someone bigger, stronger, smarter than you. And in that moment, rather than accepting that truth, they suppressed it. They pushed it away because it was an inconvenient truth. Now they've decided they had to have a substitute God. They had to have a substitute thing to worship. So you get they're moving a step further into foolishness, a step further into darkness by doing that. And so then the Bible says at this moment that God then responds... Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desire. God said, okay, I mean, if that's the course you want to take, if, if that's how you want to 